This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Hello, heroes of the internet. What you're about to hear in our new episode ended up being more serendipitous than I could have ever imagined. This was originally done as a tie-in with Common Rider Black Sun starting, which, by the way, I didn't know that it was going to be all 10 episodes and not just the premiere, <laughs> which is just nutty. But you'll hear us mention several times since this is on the first two episodes of Common Rider Black that are on Toei's YouTube channel. You'll hear my guest host, Tommy, and I say several times, Hey, Toei, release more of it. Well... Well, about a week after we recorded this, that's exactly what happened, except it wasn't Chow Factory, it was Discotech Media. So, I'm gonna say, Tommy and I willed it into existence before we even published the episode. But, just wanted to make sure you were all aware of that before going into this. Anyway, enjoy the episode, go watch some Kamen Rider Black, and get ready for Kamen Rider Black Sun. Him? Shin! Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan. And I'm Tommy. And this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, we'll be discussing Kamen Rider Black, Episodes 1 and 2. Katoro Minami is pursued by the cultish organization Gorgam, who turned him and his adopted brother into cyborgs to serve as their century kings. Barely escaping, he learns both his biological and adoptive families have ties to Gorgam. Now, he must fight their spider mutants in a desperate effort to save his father. Once again, listeners, if you heard a new voice here, well, that's because I have a guest here with me. It's great to have you on Henshinman, finally, Tommy. Yeah, it's great to be here, Nathan. I've been on your Power Trip pod, but I have my, I've had my eyes on this, and I've still got my sights on the Film Vault. Yeah, yeah, so let everybody know who you are. Yeah, so I'm Tommy Trimbeth. I'm the host of the podcast Giant Sized Violence, an ultra mega podcast dedicated to the very dark take on Ultraman by James Heron, Ultra Mega. If you would like to see an R rated version of Tokusatsu in comic book form from the same studio that brought you Invincible, Ultra Mega is definitely going to be up your alley. But just to come out up front with this, because I've got a lower voice, I use she and they pronouns. But yeah, otherwise, I've also done work in the past on Comically Confused, a New 52 podcast, but I found my way here to Henshin Men via the 
a Hakider episode you guys yes, did about a year ha- ago. Hakida. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cuz we we released episodes on Hakider on the same day. It's so yeah. crazy. Like I remember I had even held off on publishing it for some reason or I was editing forever and then I posted it and my <laughs> Okay, how many, this movie feels pretty obscure. How many other even bad movie podcasts have done this? And of the, like, only a dozen, and I mean, come on, there's a million, maybe even, like, bordering on a billion bad movie podcasts run by white guys, and yet still only, like, a dozen have ever touched a kiter, and it just happens that we both published ours on the same day. It's it's crazy, and then we connected uh, through that, and and then you you invited me, uh, you invited both me and Travis onto Ultra Mega. Oh, wait, excuse me, mm-hmm. I get the comic and your show confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> onto Giant Size Violets. I was the only one who was able to make it. You were very generous and actually bought me a copy of the graphic novel collection of Ultra Mega so I could get caught up and then talked with you about issue four. I believe that's what it was. It was issue four, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was the final issue of the series so far. The series so far, because in the meantime, while you're waiting for more episodes, oh, excuse me, more issues, I should say, of Ultra Mega, you are covering the darker, more R-rated tokusatsu material that is similar or influenced Ultra Mega. Yeah, so, I mean, as soon as I started the podcast, I knew that I wanted to give people kind of an introduction to everything this was referencing, since... Like a lot of the Western comic book fans I know could barely tell you a thing about Ultraman. It's really a coin toss if they've even heard of Common Rider. So I knew I at least wanted to do a couple episodes with that context. Then researching Common Rider, I just noticed the wide array of the tone and quality of content and just like what would appeal to fans of Ultra Mega and what wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was preparing for my episode on who the heck is Common Rider, I watched the original series, a couple episodes, this one, Common Rider Black, Common Rider Kuga, and Common Rider Double. And maybe a little Amazon's in there. And yeah, like some of those I didn't care for as much as others. Like I know it's kind of sacrilege, but I kind of hate the first episode of Common Rider Kuga. <laughs> and I think held side by side and also kind of weird. The original Kamen Rider, this and Kuga all have kind of similar plotting in their first episodes or at least mm-hmm. feature Kamen Rider fighting a spider man. And mm-hmm. I think this one does it by far the best. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll get into because we're going to be talking about, as we said in the intro, talking about. Common Rider Black, the 19... I'm trying to remember, was it 85 or is it 86? I feel like I should have become a little bit more prepared, but it was mid-80s for sure. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the first Common Rider series in a couple of years. The franchise took a few years off in the early 80s and then came back for this. Let me see here. It is... Oh, I was wrong. It was 87. It was 87, so it was a little bit later than I thought. And it did have a sequel after this called Kamen Rider Black RX, which will be familiar to Westerners because that was used for Saban's Masked Rider in the 90s. Thank you, Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah. 
I always knew that Masked Rider was bad, even from the little bits I could find on earlier internet. But this really kind of put it in perspective to see. It was the sequel to maybe the best classic Common Rider series that they managed to flush down the tubes. Like, right. they had the perfect source material and just... <laughs> squandered yeah. it although for, i've seen the first couple episodes of black rx because toei has been posting a lot of common rider on their youtube channel but only the first two episodes which is mildly annoying because <laughs> mm. when i watched black i was hooked and i wanted more <laughs> so toei give me more please <laughs> and i did watch the first couple episodes of black rx and it's lighter than black that's what I've heard, and I saw someone's film essay, and I feel so bad. I can, it might have been Mr. Falcon Punch, but you can find it later. They did a really good essay on how RX lightens the tone, but how it's actually kind of fitting for the journey of the main character and like processing grief and uh, like really just processing the trauma of everything that happens in probably the darkest season of Common Rider so far here. Yeah, although there's one on Amazon Prime that's called, well, it's Common oh, Writer yeah. Amazons, but if you look it up on English language Prime, it's called Amazon Writers. That one looks very dark too. And then obviously you have Shin Common Writer Prologue, which is basically Common Writer if directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> Yeah, and by that I mean like up to this point or up to yeah, 1987, sure. by far the darkest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if anyone who's been listening to Henshin Men for any length of time knows that even the original Common Rider had elements of horror in it. So it's mm -hmm. baked into the cake from the start. It's just, it's varying levels of it. Most modern Common Rider. Other than Black Sun, <laughs> apparently, hmm. tends to stray away from that, which is why we're doing this, because Black Sun is going to be premiering on Amazon Prime at the end of the month, and it is a remake of Black, which, if you watch the first couple episodes, you'll figure that out, because our hero, Kotaro, is called by the bad guys in this, Gorgum. They call him Black Sun. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pick up on that the first time around, but yeah, that was weird noticing it now. Mm -hmm. And on the note of Black Sun, once that does premiere on Amazon Prime, be on the lookout on the feed for Giant Size Violence, because this is going to be the first of kind of a two-part crossover between mm -hmm. the Henshin Men and Giant Size Violence, covering Kamen Rider Black here, and we'll be following up to cover the darker Kamen Rider Black Sun uh, on Giant Size Violence. Yep, which is kind of a long time coming because we had a crossover with Power Trip. You had Michael <laughs> and I on to talk about Power Rangers Unauthorized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, loved that. Oh boy, but, that. But anyway, uh, let's... I, I did actually want to rewind just on the Black Sun and like the Toei problem here on the first two episodes. <laughs> just because like I, I'm really hoping Black Sun kind of reignites the demand for Kamen Rider Black because yes, I also saw the first two and got hooked and there is not a legal means that you can stream the rest of the series anywhere mm -hmm. on the internet mm -hmm. can't even buy it on the internet like I did get a set of DVDs from overseas that surprisingly work here but subtitles are pretty suspect but it at least made me feel like if I were to go to maybe an extra legal site, I at least have done my part in <laughs> supporting the official release. Yeah, yeah. Malaysia? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was one of the Malaysian DVDs. Malaysian subtitles are notoriously dicey. 
<laughs> on the plus side, though, a weird thing that, man, if I had the editing skills, I'd be capitalizing on this. But because it's on DVD, I can fast forward it on my PS5 on like 1.5 speed. And you've probably noticed that Kamen Rider has a lot of slow moments of guys on bikes and Japanese music in the background. If you play that on 1.5 speed when it still has sound, it sounds like some pretty awesome city pop, like what you're seeing on <laughs> four-hour YouTube playlists. So if I had the time editing ability, I would love to do some mashups of like city pop or remixes of the Common Rider Black soundtrack and mash it up with Common Rider footage. <laughs> I've actually seen people who will take 80s pop songs and then they'll speed it up at to about 1.5 speed and they're like, oh my gosh, it sounds like a Magical Girl theme. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're not wrong. I even took the 90s version of the Mothra song from Godzilla versus Mothra 1992, and I sped that up to 1.5 speed. And I'm like, this sounds like a Magical Girl theme. <laughs> <laughs> but given it the fact that it's sung by Mothra's tiny twin priestesses, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But speaking of music, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the theme song to the show. I have made it no secret that Kamen Rider Black is probably my favorite Kamen Rider theme song. I've listened to all of them. I love the Black theme song. Black RX and Kuga are competing a little bit for that spot, but I love this theme song so much. <laughs> yeah, for one, like it really builds tension early on. Like the buildup to Kamen Rider getting on his bike is just an awesome image to cut this to open this with and i know we'll get to it later but man that suit looks so cool in the dark it does, uh, <laughs> it does. and i just oh man it's yeah but it, it, it this and i know that black is very well renowned for its music from what i understand because mm -hmm. even the score that plays during the show is surprisingly good mm -hmm. and uh, like on the theme itself too like you know a toku show has a good theme when like it works just as well as fighting music as it does an intro to the show mm -hmm. and i think there are certainly other toku shows where the yeah, the theme song playing over every fight scene isn't always to the service of the show but this one like the instrumental of this just is awesome for chases it's awesome for fights it never feels out of place when they use it no and one of the things you will very quickly realize when you watch the opening sequence and as you start watching the show and it really dawned on me this time rewatching it for this recording because we must appease the algorithm gods <laughs> <laughs> is this show loves shattering windows and defenestrating <laughs> everything <laughs> for those who don't know defenestrate is a big old fancy word for throwing something out a window <laughs> i'm gonna pretend i already knew that <laughs> this is what happens when you're when you read lots of old books <laughs> <laughs> but it, it oh my gosh it happens so much in this it is their favorite thing to do <laughs> but i think that also really shows Good Lord, this show is so 80s. And I mean that in the best possible way. Because this feels like... And again, I mean this in the best way. This feels like a low, like a low-budget sci-fi action movie that you would find sitting on the shelves of video stores. <laughs> yeah, like, when I first saw this, I thought it felt like something that 
like Wes Craven or John Carpenter would do if they wanted to make their take on Power Rangers, but they also only had the Power Rangers budget. This I think looks like what they would wind up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of I guess '80s grit. I would say to this, and I like it for that. It's something that I feel like is kind of missing from modern tokusatsu. It doesn't quite have that anymore. Everything is very glossy and clean now. Yeah, and I'll probably gush about this later in the effects, but like, I mean, right away, the first effect we see here with the cultists like flying after him, like it's obviously not a great effect, kind of looks like a paper cutout, but at the same time, like it still looks creepy and as the episode goes, like a lot of the costumes we see, yeah, you can tell it's a rubber suit that's about as good as you'd see on Power Rangers, but they know how to use shadows and lighting to make them look good. And I think that's really the art of tokusatsu effects mm-hmm. more so than making them look real. Mm-hmm. And especially once the optical effects start kicking in with things like the lightning strikes and all that, mm. call me crazy, but I felt like I was watching Highlander, the movie with, <laughs> with Christopher Lambert. Oh my mm. gosh. I, I was just waiting for somebody to have a quickening. I just, <laughs> yeah, have they done that for a common writer season yet? No, like common writer Highlander style. <laughs> well, like there, is, the uh, there is some that are more fantasy based. Was it uh, Travis would know better than I would at this point, mm. but uh, it was like common writer wizard. I know they kind of delved into some stuff like that. Like I said, Travis knows better than me. He's probably listening to this and yelling at me right now <laughs> at his phone. It's like, Nate, thank you were so stupid. I was just like, mm-hmm. Yes, Travis. That's why you were on the show. Because I was a noob. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. And I get what you're saying. There are some that I do worry. Some people might look at those effects and just turn the show off. Which is going to be very tragic because I think there's a lot of things that just work in this show. But yeah, the special effects take a little bit of getting used to. Mm, No. But, good lord, since we're talking about the beginning, this show wastes no time. It is in media res to the nth degree. It just throws you right in. Because the first time I watched this, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, that's honestly why I love this episode so much is like a lot of these can start kind of boring. Like nothing has as exciting of an opening as this. And also with just like the lighting, the fear on the main character's face and just like that kind of gritty Blade Runner style shot of him running through the city, running through traffic like Mm -hmm. It hooks you immediately. There's not other than the weird cultist paper cutouts chasing him. Like the, it doesn't take much of a suspension of disbelief to like really get into this. And I've seen people that are not Toku fans, like really glom onto this and come away feeling like, Oh my gosh, that was actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that this practice is actually very common in a lot of, Japanese storytelling, particularly in their pop culture stuff. So there are anime and manga that do this as well. The concept of, and I've seen some Super Sentai that do this as well. They throw you into the middle of everything, kind of show you it's like, this is what the characters do. This is a typical day for the characters. Mm. And then in the next chapter, the next episode or whatever, just later on, they start to explain things. That's when the exposition comes. But they want to hook you with all the madness 
And you have to be used to that. You have to kind of expect that a little bit because the risk that you run is that, particularly with Western audiences, is you might confuse them (laughs) and they'll tune out. Hmm. Other than Lost, not many American examples of shows like this quite come to mind. I, I guess some of the some of our superhero media at least has like that alley rescue scene right in the opening. So mm-hmm. those kind of count. But other yeah. than that, yeah, this uh, doesn't there, seem that common here. There are some action movie franchises. James Bond in particular is known mm. for this. They they have what they call the opening gambit, which will be mm. this action sequence that shows off what the 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 hero can do but it probably has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. (laughs) It's just its own little thing. And like I said, James Bond's known for that. So the movie starts, here's some mission James Bond is on. He does a bunch of stuff, saves the day, cut to credits, credits finish. He go, he's going back to headquarters and getting debriefed and they tell him, Oh yeah, there's another thing we need you to take care of. (laughs) Yeah. Now, as the chase scene goes, I like how we get little hints of like what exactly is happening. Like it doesn't explain anything, but we get the like breakout. I think there's even a few flashbacks showing that like mm-hmm. he had escaped from this lab occultist. His dad was there. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of add to the atmosphere, the show builds that first transformation we see at the end of the scene. Like, oh my gosh. yeah, Katoro's thrown through a wall and then he like, slowly emerges as this bug creature kind of closer to Shin Kamen Rider prologue, but like, yeah, that like Animorphs transition before he's in the suit. Yeah. Yeah. And then the theme song kicks in and it's like, Oh, Um, it's big dang hero time now, isn't it? (laughs) I remember being so excited. My first time seeing this, like, Oh yeah. Kamen Rider's going to kick your, (laughs) Kick, uh, kick their dragon daggers, right? Yeah, kick, kick them right in the dragon dagger. <laughs> yeah, I was suddenly... That's probably one of the best... Okay. Yeah, that's one of the best jokes I've heard in a long time, actually, on this show. Mm. Nice job. <laughs> so, But, yeah. And, and I love how there's a lot of shorthand going on here. Like, we don't have to be told that these are cultists. They dress like cultists. <laughs> <laughs> some might call it cliche but i'm like but it works <laughs> i know they're cultists yeah i mean if you really want to invert tropes on your head have the weird masked cloaked figures chasing the uh, innocent seeming boy make that boy the villain and the weird cultist people the good guys <laughs> like men in black inversion yeah there you go but yeah so this is gorgum and i thought it was gorgon i swear on the toei youtube channel it said gorgon which actually made sense to me because Gorgon uh, goes back to Greek mythology. Those were a trio of women. They were sisters. They were arrogant enough to believe that they were as beautiful as the gods. And one in particular was punished for that, and she became Medusa. Yeah, and like with the weird uh, solid faces of the cultists and then a common rider and also his... His rival, we'll see later in the series, they mm-hmm. use like the sunstone and I think the moonstone or something like that. Uh, uh, they th- in this one they mentioned the kingstone. They mentioned the kingstones, and they were making Kotaro into Black Sun, and Nobuhiko was going to be Shadow Moon. Which those are really cool mm. sounding names, by the way. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, they 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 workshopped them with a lot of fourteen year olds. They, they took <laughs> oh, some time yeah, on that. There is definitely a pretty good teenage angst edge lord thing going on in this one, isn't there? 
yeah, I mean, but yeah. Other than a handful of movies, we didn't have any common writer in the nineties. You know, the the peak of the Edge Lord, <laughs> the peak time for Edge Lord, because it basically was Black RX. And then, like I said, there was a couple of movies, and then there was no more common writer until Kuga in two thousand. So they, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, I know this was also workshopping in itself because. Ooh, uh, director, uh, uh, okay, K- uh, Keita Amamiya. I, I know he was involved in this, so... Uh, yeah, think... he was, uh, he did character design. I know he, spec- I know he at least did that in RX. Yeah, like, Kamen Rider Black w- walked so uh, Kiter could run. And uh, <laughs> I think we can see that evolution here. And I wasn't surprised to see he worked on both, but I did love that, like... Two or three of my favorite tokusatsu things all happen to be from the same guy, and I only learned that through your episode on Kaiter. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So after our big, crazy opening action sequence, where we at least get a hint of what's going on, because basically Gorgum is shocker in this, but I feel like they're amping up the cult nature of Gorgum more than they ever did with Shocker. There's some definite overlap here, but I don't know. Is Gorgum feels scarier to me than Shocker did. And because even though Shocker was caricaturishly evil <laughs> in the original show. And they were basically like the Nazis. They were dabbling in anything and everything that could give them power and make them evil, whether it was science or the supernatural. Yeah, and I feel like their aesthetic certainly helps. I mean, like, the dark lighting of the opening adds to this, but then every time we see their base, it looks like something right out of a Clive Barker movie. Like, it does. Some, some Hellraiser, <laughs> Nightbreed stuff. And, yeah, like this eldritch horror it, it feels more religion than science, but there's enough, like, biomechanical stuff that adds to the body horror of it all and mm-hmm. yeah it's like terrifying in a culty way yeah yeah and they make some of the terminology that they use like they mentioned they serve the creation king and i'm like that sounds scarily cryptic mm-hmm. <laughs> having only seen the first two episodes i'm already scared of these people <laughs> and what's what's nutty though is i have a I have a friend who is a conspiracy theorist, so a lot of the things that I'm seeing in this with Gorgum, I'm like, I know a guy who thinks this sort of stuff is real. Mm. <laughs> you know, this yeah, weird I mean, secret society with their bizarre religious ceremonies and the you know the intent on taking over the world and wiping out most of the population and keeping only those who are worthy and all of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm trying not to get too dark on your show, but like... <laughs> With some of the things I've learned ever since, like, Epstein and mm-hmm. <clears throat> Weinstein, like, yeah, you know, if you want to tell me that there's some cult of Illuminati billionaires out there kidnapping kids and turning them into cyborgs, you know what? Probably are. Uh, I'll give it to you. I, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just saying. There's. Some... I have no reason to doubt that anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the, there's... Some real life influences that go with this, and I would say the same could be applied to Shocker as well. I've thought mm-hmm. about that at watching the original show. It's just that if, well, the original show feels very Silver Age comic book in a lot of ways. This definitely has that '80s edge to it, and it's it's pretty mm-hmm. melodramatic at points too, but in the best possible way, I think, because superhero stories lend themselves to melodrama. 
Yeah, let's see. So this was 87, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So I go, I know American comics hadn't quite gotten all that dark yet. I think this is around or after Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Okay. And I know British comics, especially, were like kind of leaning more this way. Like you'll see a lot in like Judge Dredd Mm -hmm. and 2000 AD and like some of the pre-British invasion works from like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and such like that kind of fits this vibe more. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. like bronze age alternative comics vibe. Mm -hmm, For sure. For sure. (laughs) But, and speaking of cool names, although this one is just like, really who names who you, who would do this? Uh, uh, Kotaro talks with his adoptive dad and his adoptive dad says, meet me at camp Diablo. Who the frick names, uh, names their camp. Camp Diablo. <laughs> I mean, it's my understanding that like Camp Devil in Japan, like they don't have the same cultural standing with Christian iconography. Like it just looks and or sounds cool. I know. I just think it's funny. <laughs> that's that's all I and because like in Common Rider, the original, there have been several episodes where they go to Hell Valley, and I'm like, really? Mm. Then I looked it up. Hell Valley is real. <laughs> I thought they made it up, but it's real. Oh, one sec. I got to pick up my kids from Satan's playground. (laughs) Well, yeah. And uh, actually I just watched an Ultraman Leo episode where the alien menace of the week was, I'm not kidding you. He was literally named North Satan. I mean, Japan's first superhero, I think it was golden bat, but like he, he's got devil look to him all over. Yes, he does. But again, and Travis and I have talked about this. It's just cultural differences, and they the Japanese will look at foreign stuff like that and as sources of inspiration, and then they'll just use it because they think it's cool, not because they're trying to do something deep and symbolic or whatever, which is why Neon Genesis Evangelion drove all the otakus nuts. <laughs> because they were, they they and I was one of them, dude. I I was one of them. I you know I was going. Th- I would scoured that show trying to unpack it and figure it out. And then I found out later, none of it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought that looked cool and they used it. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and don't get me started on the movies because <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the new ones. I'm talking about the old ones that were sequels to the original yeah. show. Oh well, don't get me started on the new ones because I can go off on like my personal things, picking it apart that it may or may not mean. Oh boy, oh boy, and then, uh, I, and I wrote the whole thing down just to make sure I remembered. We after all of the madness, the nonstop madness that we got in the beginning. The show, I don't want to say it comes to a grinding halt, but it definitely slows down and we get a big exposition dump in that first episode where Kotaro meets with his adoptive dad and he just tells him everything. Here's the first chapter of your origin. Yeah, now before we get to that, I would like to stop because I believe it's before that scene that we meet Kotaro's adoptive sister and I think one or two other supporting characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... Like that scene and actually, especially the very last shot of Katoro in this episode, but it shows uh, 
how awesome the fashion is in this series. Yes. Like weirdly, uh, we've come back around to late '80s Japan in our fashion because mm-hmm. every person I see in the show, I'm like, I want to look like that. Like Kataro's outfit, like. I've got a white jacket now, a white denim jacket. And every time I put it on, I feel like a common writer. (laughs) They nail that like future funk or like city pop so well. Yeah. I met a guy, his name, unfortunately is escaping me. If he knew I was forgetting his name on in the air, he would yell at me so much, but he's a comic book creator. I met him at a con and he was cosplaying as Kotaro. Yeah. And Director of Shin Godzilla, creator of Demon Going, uh, name's escaping me. Uh, Hideaki Anno. Yeah, Hideaki Anno. What, was it him that like used to even like used to dress as him day to day? Or I know there's some, me. <laughs> there's some big Toku figure, either him or another director or stuntman that like, yeah, he would they would dress as Kotaro. Yeah, because Kamen Rider Black and Black RX were really big deals, which is why it surprises me that Kamen Rider basically went on hiatus for over a decade after these shows. Mm-hmm. I was just like you were. You guys had a massive hit, like the biggest hit of *Common Rider*, probably since the original. And you guys just put it to bed for uh, over a decade. It's just it confuses me I, a little bit. I could be mistaken, but I think there was like something economic in Japan or something going on with the studio that like kind of limited their ability to keep making these shows. Uh, uh, they heard- Japan went into a massive recession in 1990. Yeah, I think that I've heard that had something to do with the hiatus. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Because, yeah, because I do believe, because, yeah, because Black RX wrapped up right before it. Because, you know, this Mm. was 87 to 88, and then the next one was 88 to 89. So, yeah, it would have been right before it. But, yeah, and I like the supporting cast in this one. I was wanting to see more of them, too. That was the other thing that upset me that I can only watch two episodes right now <laughs> easily. Because mm-hmm. I liked I liked them. I think they brought something to the story, to the character, especially Kotaro, that I think is very much needed. Because Kotaro is a very broody character. And having a, uh, a sister and another girl in his life who are the bright spots for him, I think is very much needed. I mean, because like they did not even hesitate to go run to his aid when he forgets that he has superhuman strength and he crushes that soda bottle. Oh yeah. <laughs> One, I love that scene, but I think you nail it on the head there. Like it, it's a nice balance too to see that it's not just the one like brooding detective, brooding Batman style figure that lost these people. It it kind of reminds you of the humanity of the other members of this family that are also affected by this. Mm-hmm. It's Kyoko and Katsumi. Okay, but with the praises of the supporting cast song, let's uh, move on to that very eventful monologue that follows it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this info dump. <laughs> like I said, mm. it starts off with the madness, then slows down and gives you the info dump. So to put it succinctly, <laughs> and this, by the way, this is all intercut between the scene is, is, Kotaro and his dad and his adoptive dad, they're meeting in what looks like a warehouse. And his dad goes into this whole speech explaining a bunch of backstory. And it's intercut between f- him talking and footage of a spider going after a moth that had just caught on its web. They are making the symbolism abundantly clear. <laughs> hmm. 
<laughs> and also shown footage of these two brothers uh, growing up together as we see the backstory of Katoro having lost his parents as a little kid, being adopted by this family. And then in the middle of this exposition jump, we get a three-second what-the-henshin moment <laughs> with a mini-trauma dump in there, maybe? Um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'll just point out what is in the episode, but, like, we're seeing the two brothers grow up together, they're playing soccer, like, being, being boys, and th- all, everything seems all right, and then when the father says, like, we've treated you as his own brother or our own son, something like that. Mm-hmm. We get a shot of one of the brothers behind the, or the other brother behind Katoro in a shower, like choking him out with the hose and <laughs> soap drops and like floats around the drain. And I'm like, I, 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 I'm not even trying to be perverted here. I don't know how else I'm supposed to take this. Uh, <laughs> that was a little odd. <laughs> that was a little odd i'm gonna and, check that up to differences in cultural sensibilities <laughs> and even though common rider black is like my favorite toku show i found i am not good at watching through japanese children's television uh, especially when there's so much good new stuff and this one is hard to watch uh, like accessibility wise so i don't know if that ever gets expanded on but I, i've watched around like 12 to 15 episodes in and i certainly have not seen him express any concern about sexual trauma and there's seems to be no dramatic tension between the two when we later see more of their backstory yeah 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 but that is something worth pointing out that is uh, that is pretty odd so Hmm. and then we find out oh you know why we had to adopt you because gorgum killed your parents (laughs) (laughs) and because your dad and i your biological dad and i were obsessed with these ruins that we just excavated and Gorgum said, oh, we'll help you excavate them, but you have to join. And your biological father wouldn't do that, so they killed him. <laughs> have fun with that revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm a coward, so I said yes immediately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you want to talk about just getting all kinds of bad news in one day. And that's just the beginning of <laughs> the backstory. Mm. The next episode, we'll find out more. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, and it's all intercut with the spider going after the moth. And and then yeah. when he finishes the speech, the, the spider gets the moth. I'm wondering <laughs> if that was actual nature footage that they recorded. So... Mm. They can't claim that no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture. <laughs> yeah. And this scene, too, like, this is really what I'm talking about when I mention how this show makes bad effects look good. Because, like, the spider costume is goofy as all heck. And yet, like, with how they put it in the shadows or show the little goons, like, creeping up in the ceiling or, like, uh, behind the walls... It's super creepy. And like, even when you see them in the front of the screen, like with the lighting and everything, it makes these bad costumes still look very scary. Mm-hmm. And like, if you juxtapose that with the first episode of Common Rider Kuga, where, yeah, there's a Spider Man, but like, 
it is in broad daylight, bad CGI going right in the camera, like a still photo twisting at you. And they do that like two or three times. There's no effort to make their bad special effects. Like, I don't know, to look around, uh, to work around their limited budget. This right. nails it. Like it is everything I love about 80s horror in a toku show. Mm-hmm. I actually think probably the best shot of the spider men in this sequence is when they're crawling on all fours. Hmm. That was a little unnerving. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny this scene involves Spider-Man, though, because, like, you mentioned that this day keeps getting worse for Toro. Like, he, he wakes up with superpowers, and by the end of the day, his dad gets Gwen Stacy'd. Yep. And... <laughs> Yeah, kind of weird inversion of things here with, like, the scientist falling and a spider dropping him. Like, there's all kinds of things with Spider-Man we can yeah. pick apart there. But. Yeah, yeah, and uh, although I did I did find it a little bit odd that Kotaro just thought, all I have to do is catch him and he won't die. I'm like, I don't think it works like that. Yeah. <laughs> Both die. <laughs> but he tries. He tries really hard. He does catch his dad and his dad dies and... And then we mm-hmm. get that, you know, that very melodramatic, very, you know, very comic booky moment right there. And he, he cries a little bit, which is understandable. And then he turns around and he, he looks at those Spider-Men. And he's like, you're dying right now. I'm going to squish yeah. you. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, that, that might be the most uh, B.A. That, that might be the most B.A. Henshin I've ever seen in Common Rider. Like. When he gets up and transforms, like, ah, you know what's coming. Yeah. And, uh, and he, his little, it's very much like the Common uh, Rider 71, the later pose that the Hongo would do. Mm. But it, his trademark is that he grips really hard with those gloves and you can hear the leather crunch. <clears throat> and he, and his fists quiver a little bit. And then he does the traditional the pose. And then transforms, and he goes to town on the spiders. <laughs> yeah, and that transformation sequence, like, it is very similar to what was later used in Power Rangers, I feel. At least, like, with how the belt looks and the flashing background. Mm-hmm. And, like, seeing this and, like, getting to this fight scene and just, like, the most awesome morphing or henshin sequence I've ever seen. Like... When I was a kid and I first heard about Kamen Rider and like the Japanese version of Power Rangers, I was told Kamen Rider was like this more mature version of Power Rangers and that like this world, the Toku, there was there was a darker version of what I grew up loving. And I never found the version of that that I was looking for that was also easy to watch until I found this. Mm-hmm. It's the easy to watch part. But like <laughs> this is what I've been looking for ever since I found out that there's a darker world of Toku outside of Power Rangers. Right, right, right. By the way, Shout Factory, make a deal with Toei. I know you've Please got it me. in good with Toei. You're giving us lots of Super Sentai. I will buy Common Rider Black day one. Like, I, I would <laughs> pay for a couple months of a subscription service just for Common Rider Black. <laughs> Seriously, guys, make it happen. <laughs> I know you can make it happen. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go. I mean, come on. Just Black RX. You could sell Black RX and tell everybody this is what Mast Rider should have been. I mean, <laughs> just like you've been doing with all these Sentai sets. You can make this happen, guys. <laughs> oh. I mean, the, the we've got Media Blasters releasing five Common Rider movies right now. By the end of the year, we're going to get those. You can make this happen, guys. 
Just saying. But anyway, back to this fight scene. We get uh, some very nice show don't tell in this. We find out that one of... Oh, no, we saw this before, but we get to see it again here. We find out that Kamen Rider Black can summon his motorcycle. I have Battle Hopper. Battle Hopper, which, as compared to the other names that are in this show, not as BA, but (laughs) I'm still cool with it because he can... You can think Battle Hopper, and then it comes. It's very nice. <laughs> it's and like I, I know what happens a couple episodes in, but like B- Battle Hopper is a very endearing character. Like, uh, there's a moment where he seemingly dies to save Katoro, and like it's a super touching moment in just a few episodes in. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if there's a. I think I've seen that clip actually. Now that I think hmm. about it, on the. Of the badass Toku moments <laughs> in Twitter feed. I think I saw that. I'm like, oh, it's an actual character? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, what really upsets me, though, is that Kataro is a two-timing jerk, and, like, 12 to 15 episodes in, he gets a second bike. He <laughs> cheats on Battle Hopper for a hotter woman, and... <gasps> <laughs> Just because she's a little faster. Apparently, his name should be Common Rider Cad. <laughs> yeah. Right, Common Rider Double Timer. No, and those, that, not, neither of those were that good. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and <laughs> it didn't dawn on me until we were talking about. I was like, wait a minute, where these are technically quote unquote spider space men. I called them the Tarzan spiders. <laughs> in my notes i'm like no wait they are spider-man because <laughs> they're swinging around on webs trying to hit Kamen Rider black at one point in the warehouse ah oh, darn it but i my first instinct was i want the <laughs> when they're swinging around <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's just almost stomping on American superheroes. Like we see them even casting the web around him, trying to tie yeah. him up, and like he just doesn't have it. It's it does nothing to him. <laughs> yeah, but but that was classic right there. It's like you know the put him put the hero in chains or whatever, and he just he, he, actually that's when he summoned Battle Hopper. Battle Hopper came in and cut the lines. <laughs> oh right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and then he started uh, just kicking the snot out of him. That is actually something that's a welcome change here. We've talked about how a lot of common writer shows, particularly in this era, were mimicking each other. It's very much the same sort of formula. They just change the details around a lot. Ultraman does this all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and well, Super Sentai to a certain extent does that as well. So the thing that's different here is that, yeah, it's tradition, bit of tradition, to have a spider or a bat be the first opponent for the common Rider. This one, we don't get one spider. We get like a half dozen. (laughs) And honestly, I'm surprised they went that hard on like six goon costumes here, but they look great. I mean, I've heard it said in the writing world that you want to get some of the your best writing in those early chapters or in the case of a television show in the early episodes so that you can get people hooked so they know that what they're going to get is going to be good. So that might have been the case here. Maybe they threw a little extra money at that first episode to make sure that they could get the audience interested. Yeah, and I would like to say that... Uh... 
like while I have not gotten around to watching through Common Rider Black or even like the key episodes as found on some Reddit guide, I've still watched the first episode of Common Rider Black like at least eight times since I discovered it late last year. Mm-hmm. Like just since this first episode, like one, it's like a perfect condensed origin story that all, like barely slows down, and when it does, it's like speed running you through whatever exposition you need, and. Yeah, I've mentioned how it's everything I'm looking for, but it also demonstrates everything I love about Tokusatsu. So if I have a non-fan over to my my house, I can just show them this to kind of give them the bullet points. Of like, this is my weird hyper fixation that I love. Please understand. <laughs> Please understand. And we get some nice fan service at the end of this. No, not that kind of fan service. Get your heads out of the gutter. No, we get... The classic moves. We get the writer punch and the writer kick because you have to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing I'll give Black RX over this. Like, I do love Black's writer kick, but in season two, they give the guy a lightsaber. And yes. like, hats off to you, show. Good job. Uh, you're, you're glad you did this where George Lucas isn't looking, but like, yeah, that, that's a welcome improvement. <laughs> I forget what they called it. You know, like, like Gun- the Gundam franchise, they call them beam sabers. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was a, an electro saber in America, but don't remember the Japanese name. <laughs> yeah, because we got to get around those copyrights somehow, <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> even when George Lucas owned Star Wars, he was very quick to go after stuff like that. <laughs> but I mean, going beyond just the common writer classics of his finishing moves, like it wraps that up with just that awesome hero walking through mm-hmm. the flames moment at you as he like demorphs and mm-hmm. like, yeah, that, that nails the aesthetic of this show and everything I love yeah. about it and why I want to dress like this character, both yes. in a high end cosplay as Kamen Rider Black and in day to day as Katoro Ishinomori. Yeah, like, I'm changing it's... my wardrobe to be more feminine, but I will still <laughs> gladly dress like Katoro any day. <laughs> All right, and with that, let's go on to the second episode. Episode 2, The Mutant Party. Katoro reflects on his recent past, including his 19th birthday, where he was chosen by Gorgom as a century king. Presently, he searches for Gorgom's hideout by going to an actress who knows their secrets, but when he arrives, he finds only a bloodthirsty leopard mutant. So the second episode, there's a, a lot that's going on in this one. We get some more exposition. We get some more flashbacks that are. We also get some pre. I call them previously on clips that are intercut with new footage, which I wish more shows would do that. <laughs> yeah, and can I just say, I think Phineas and per sorry Phineas and Ferb put it best. I had a nickel for every time a leopard mutant has ruined the climax of the second installment of a superhero story. I'd only have two nickels, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Our Kaijin of the week is in the eighties. I, I, I don't know what his official name is. I call him leopard man because there is a leopard man in hmm. the original common writer. 
Ah, okay, checks out then. Probably sticking with the tropes. Yeah, that's why I'm guessing that's what it is or what it's referencing. But yeah, I'm not sure I would say the second episode is as strong as the first. What do you think? Yeah, not, like well, I've watched the first episode a dozen times. I think this was only my second or third. Yeah, this was at least my third time watching the second one, and I've always kind of forgotten it. And I think what's really going on here is that while this is filling in the rest of the origin for Katoro, it's kind of also making up for episode one starting in Media Res. Like, mm-hmm. this is more along the lines of how I would expect a common writer series to start or like a more traditional, like slower paced one. So mm-hmm. like, it really shows how important editing is. Cause if they just had the footage for these two episodes and presented it chronologically, I would not have been hooked nearly as much. And right. this is kind of the rest of the filler that I don't think all of it's even needed really, but like, I guess it's good to get context, just not nearly as hype as the first episode. Right, right, right. And there was some pretty, some of the crazier parts of the of both of these episodes, really, but especially the first one, is the just crazy editing, like just hyperactive mm. at points editing, almost like music video style, you know, just all yeah. of these very quick cuts, particularly in the opening action sequence in episode one where Kotaro's getting electrocuted and then he has a, nice flashback where he remembers at least escaping but Mm -hmm. the flashback we get here first off it starts at their 19th birthday party him and nobuhiko Mm -hmm. and we find i'd like to point out that before they cut to that they give the iconic line of there are a lot of grasshoppers that day (laughs) (laughs) which i feel like they're more like locusts here but yeah they act like locusts (laughs) they certainly do and then we get, so we get uh, some more stuff unpacked a little bit. I don't think we mentioned this before. One of the weird things about Nobuhiko and Kotaro, they're, they're adoptive brothers, but they were born on the same day, which was on a solar eclipse. And then, you know, their families were friends with each other. And then Kotaro gets adopted. And all I keep thinking is, how weird is it growing up with a brother, even if it's a stepbrother? Who has the same birthday as you, but you're not twins. <laughs> I mean, that's either like anime fate stuff right there, or Kataro is not the first two timing bastard in this lineage. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just saying there's a lot of kind of I, I I don't want to sound like I'm being hypercritical because I don't know how the rest of this pans out, obviously because I haven't seen the rest of the show, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of convenience that's happening here. Or in a very improbable convenience you know two stepbrothers with the same birthday born on a solar eclipse and you know, it's like it's no wonder you got the attention of a weirdo cult and <laughs> world domination <laughs> yeah i figured it was some kind of like no, chosen one fate thing that i'm sure they'll reveal later but yeah because yeah. this this is a very dark take on the whole jo- chosen one trope we find out mm-hmm. because they're at this party and that's when we're introduced to that actress that we uh, that we follow a little bit later because i don't i'm not entirely sure she seems to know stuff about gorgum but i don't think she's part of it or if she is she's a very reluctant member because they didn't hesitate to just send the leopard man to kill her because kotaro was going to go talk to her and find out where their base is 
Yeah, I was get, thinking she was going to turn out to be some kind of like snake woman or one of the uh, wasp woman, like one of the other okay. common <laughs> bee woman. We see here. Yeah, bee woman. <laughs> oh, bee woman. Yeah. Oh, that's the gaudiest costume they ever had for a kaijin in the original Common Rider. Oh my <laughs> gosh, dude. <laughs> Look up a picture of Bee Woman sometime. <laughs> Will do. It's Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's just say Keita Amemia <laughs> updated Bee Woman for one of his Common Rider movies. And it was a big mm. improvement. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. I'm surprised she wasn't a kaijin, to be honest. Hmm. Kind of with that, like there being a lot of conveniences in this story, I also feel like it was this episode seemed to over rely on narration. Like, I, I don't know if this was out of place for the time, but it kind of reminds me of like an old comic book where they have the narrator that's giving you context for mm-hmm. all these places. Common writer is going. So they're like not taking the time to explain any of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, maybe that's an all right way to go about it. But uh, yeah, this episode definitely felt like it slowed down. So I felt like there might have been a better way to show, not tell all mm-hmm. these steps Katoro is taking on the way to finding this woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, going back to that flashback, so it's their 19th birthday party. It's really fancy. It's on a yacht. Mm-hmm. And that's when we really start getting the creepy secret society vibes from everybody. <laughs> oh yeah what, like why do they have an eyes wide shut themed birthday party <laughs> it was weird like the, the whole vibe at this party was it's <sighs> it's all rich old people who seemingly don't know these two because the dad like introduces them when they walk in uh-huh. and uh, one uh, uh, side note the dad's acting is really weird in that scene like you seem to find the previous episode but he's just like weird and stunted here <laughs> But, like, I don't know that much about Japanese birthday traditions, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to know the people at your birthday party. Yeah, yeah but we find but there's a reason for that. I find it interesting, mm-hmm. too. I pay attention to things like clothing choices, especially the colors. But mm-hmm. both of our birthday boys are wearing white tuxes. And then, obviously, Kotaro becomes common writer black, so it's the complete opposite of that. So mm. it's almost like they're being, because we find out that they're there and then they get quote unquote chosen by Gorgum to be their century king. So it's almost like, now that I think about it, it's almost like they're being presented as these sacrifices, these pure unblemished sacrifices on their mm. birthday, you know, which is probably why they're wearing white. You could make the argument. And then we have the creepy scene where the grasshoppers are, I prefer to think that they're locusts show up because again, we're making sure that you know how creepy and weird all of this is. <laughs> and interestingly, the only people who notice them are the boys. And it seemed like their dates might've noticed them too. Or yeah. like, I thought they had a couple girls with them. And yeah, I do think they noticed them, but everybody else didn't even pay attention. And then it seemed like they just all disappear in an instant. Like, I know the story's moving pretty fast, but the fact that none of them take a moment to be like, okay, we just shared a fever dream. We we, we should process that a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> none, none of that. Yeah. I, I have to admit, this is the one scene where I do find myself sitting here thinking, how did they do that? How did they get that grasshopper locust swarm? I really want to know, because did they use real ones? Huh. I don't know if they got a cast with nerves of steel to do that, but like, I know you can get like a tons of crickets and grasshoppers for real cheap. Cause like a lot of animals eat them. So 
can buy them as like feedstock, but yeah, n- no idea. Yeah, I mean, and again, the, the, the regulations about the use of animals in Japan must be different. At least it was different in the 80s because I don't think you could get away with doing something quite like that in the United States without a bunch of handlers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I watched Snowpiercer, and I don't think they care too much about crickets and grasshoppers. <laughs> Yeah, and I noticed this. I wrote this down in my notes. It actually was a contention for the awards because it's something that it's from the original Common Rider, and Travis and I have been talking about it a lot, but I call it the deadly disco lighting, mm. which happened usually with the Kaijin in the original Common Rider, and here it's subtler because they have the colored lighting that would be on the faces of a couple of the characters. So you had the one guy who's clearly part of Gorgum, and he had red lighting on his face in that close-up, and then he was talking to the actress, and they put blue lighting on her because she's getting scared. But Mm. then you don't see it in the next shot. So it's just there for those shots to indicate, uh, I guess, mood? That's, like, really classic there. That's almost like going back to, like, Grecian plays there with, Mm -hmm. like, playing with light and color. So, yeah, I didn't pick up on that, but that... I feel like I have seen that in other series that you pointed out. Yeah, I don't think I noticed it the first time because I hadn't gotten as deep into the original Kamen Rider yet, but the second time, like, oh, that's got to be an homage. Hmm. (laughs) That has to be an homage right there. Yeah, and then we get to the next part of the flashback that fills in more of what we saw before, which is the boys are taken to Gorgum. They perform the horrific surgery on them to make them into cyborgs. The professor, Dr. Akisuki, tries to say, no, don't do that to them. He's suddenly having second thoughts, which I find interesting. (laughs) Well, it sounded like he only was second guessing it when they said they were going to wipe their memories. Yeah. So I got the feeling he just thought that like, oh, yeah, I'm offering up my boys as the chosen ones. So like, I'm going to do well in this here cult that's about to run the world. And like, you know, that's fairly forward thinking of the dad. Kind of evil, but, you know, he has his best interest for his kids in mind. It's only when like... They're going to make him not really his kids anymore that he draws a line. And I, I get it, Dad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And then that's probably the moment where, not probably, it is the moment where Gorgum is like, we don't really like you anymore. So we're going to kill you too at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do that in the previous episode, but this is a flashback. <laughs> and yeah, while they're while they're having that discussion, Katoro is running off into a matte painting to oh escape. Oh, gosh. That. Well, I'll talk about that sequence a bit more in the awards, but good grief. <laughs> yeah. No, I I actually really like that scene and imagery. Like, I can tell he's running into a map painting, but, like, that's really where, once again, we're seeing that, like, yeah, Lovecraftian horror-style set. So, like, it's scary enough than, like the aesthetic of it is adds to the show enough that I don't care that it looks really fake. You know, I, I think this is a good example of how looking at, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, more old-fashioned special effects, I feel like it adds to it and it doesn't really take away because, especially in something like this, it is really ethereal. I think it's supposed to be nightmarish and dreamlike. And if you had done it with a bunch of slick, glossy special effects like you would do now, like you'll look at there's mm. some sequences like that in the Marvel Doctor Strange movies. It's not quite the same. Mm, yeah, it just looks like know, cheesier in some ways or yeah. more out of place. Yeah. Whereas here, like I feel like it's 
part of what you expect with any kind of pulp media like this. Like you watch an old pulp de- like detective noir story, you know the dialogue is going to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now with Tokusatsu, like yeah, you know you know the special effects are going to be a certain way. You know the line delivery is going to be like this, very heroic and like stating one's interests, but like. Once once you start throwing that to bad early two thousand CGI, like that's just um, making it age like cheese. <laughs> wow, age like cheese. <laughs> I hope there aren't any angry Kuga fans that are going to give us one star reviews for this. Oh my! <laughs> hey, now there's like some of them weird cheeses that ages really well. Uh, that's what Common Rider. That's what Common Rider Double is. But <laughs> now have- I won't speak to the others. <laughs> yeah, all of your references to Double are making Travis happy. That's his favorite writer show. <laughs> Good. Mm-hmm. That, and, that was mine that I only got two episodes of and wanted more, but couldn't find it. Toei, give us more. <laughs> Please. Anyway, <laughs> although, well, you know, what's really worse is there are some where you, they do put all the episodes up, but only the first two are subtitled. Uh, or the first two are available and the rest are region locked. Uh, <laughs> Toei. Yeah, maybe we can riff tracks the rest of them to like... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, did, I mean, did you hear that? <laughs> did you hear? And people were kind of like, this is poetic justice. They launched their YouTube channel, and within, I think, the first two or three days, they got copyright strikes from themselves. <laughs> so they put a bunch of stuff up as soon as they started, and they got taken down because they got because of copyright strikes from themselves. <laughs> See, that would feel better if I thought Toei cared at all about making money in America, but I know they're probably like, what? Uh, what's YouTube? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I was, just, I was like, are we still getting Power Ranger money? <laughs> we like Power Ranger money. <laughs> Housebro's like, well, we might give you less Power Ranger money now, but... <laughs> Run the ads, run the ads. <laughs> the number of ads are proportionate to how much Power Ranger money they get. <laughs> All right, well, they stopped using our suit footage, so we're up to six ads. <laughs> our apologies. <laughs> it would have been three, but... Because <laughs> uh, I will admit, I did get a little annoyed with the ad interruptions in this one. <laughs> watching things because oh, well. they came at the most inopportune times. So I'm like, come on, not well, now. <laughs> well, I'm not a plebeian. I uh, I have YouTube Premium. Semi through oh. a friend, but had it for a good while because, like, I think I got it in like 2016 or around an election year, and I was like, you know what, this is too good of a luxury i'm not going back to that i'm not going back to political ads in front of my youtube videos yeah let's not yeah I, everyone gets sick i don't care which side of the political aisle you're on we all get sick of political ads <laughs> like, it's like stop it leave me alone anyway uh, but uh, but this is a good transition since we're having a, a moment of levity in the podcast we we get after that after all of the nightmare visuals <laughs> the show wisely gives us a moment of levity because we go to that shop and we meet Toto and all I, I just want to know if there is more Toto because I need more Toto in my life. Hmm. <laughs> Toto is wonderful. He's running a shop that he 
makes Kotaro and Kyoko take care of. He's, you know, here's the keys. Watch everything while I'm gone. He's going on vacation. And he's introduced wearing a werewolf mask, which I can't help but wonder if that's a little bit meta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love it because, like, imagine being in Kotaro's position where the monsters you fight look about the same as that werewolf mask. Like, he really had to think twice before punching that guy's head off. <laughs> You, you could you could take that in a really dark turn. Like he sees a punch and pop. I was like, "Right, the punch!" Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we don't let Common Rider out on Halloween anymore. Too many, <laughs> too many crimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh jeez. And he just starts going. He just starts chasing after people. He doesn't realize. And the second grade goes. slaughter in 1988. No, that's why no. Common Rider went off the air for 10 years. <laughs> oh man, like oh, that went dark. But uh, but here's something. Uh, I was I, I was watching the subtitles here, and these subtitles when he leaves are subtitled thanks. Adios. I'm like, wait a second. Did he actually try to say adios, or did they just want to be funny and subtitle it like that? Because I don't think he said adios. I wasn't listening that closely, but like, I mean, I do know languages from all over slip into like international vernacular, so mm -hmm. maybe. But you know, yeah, uh, like the anime and manga Bleach. There's a lot of Spanish in that, particularly in, mm. in one in one arc. There's a lot of Spanish. Mm. Mm. They have like Hueco Mundo and things like that. Hueco Mundo means whole world. H-O-L-E, whole world. Mm. So wow. that's why I was wondering a little bit, but I didn't quite catch it. And then we get, we were, we've talked about it a little bit. We jumped ahead. So we get to, after that nice moment of levity, he goes to the actress's apartment, Kotaro. And we get a, I have to say, a pretty effective scene where we get the creepy glowing yellow eyes in the background. Yeah, and the music is awesome here and like how it's building the tension of him going up the elevator. Like I kept thinking something was going to get Kotaro, but yeah, then stumbling into this crime scene instead. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. the very good job building tension. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then he goes in. He, he, well, he knocks on door, he opens it a little bit and then shows us that door chains are useless. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even sure he knocks. Like he almost immediately breaks that chain. Right. Right. And, and yeah, I should know the the door chain on my apartment's been knocked off so many times. It doesn't it, it barely stays on anymore. I don't even mm. use it. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not keeping Common Rider out of your house. Yeah, yeah, nope. Rider's just staying out of my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then I, I do like the tension that gets built here. He's looking around and and there's nobody there. And then he goes and he finds the actress in her bedroom and she's dead. And he looks at the body and then just bam, leopard man gets him. Mm. <laughs> and then they, they tear up this apartment, dude. <laughs> they tear it up. <laughs> oh my God. Well, she's not going to need it anymore. So well, yeah, for well. sure. But yeah, but they're like, it's classic superhero action here. They're smashing through walls and, and wrecking all the furniture and everything. And it's a real April O'Neil apartment by the end of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then it, this escalates quickly. Like, this fight goes on for a really long time. And, you know, like, they get out of the apartment and they're fighting in the hallway with the, you know, that has the, you know, it's that one of those hallways that ascends around. 
you know, with the staircase. So there's this big open area in the center. They do a bunch of stunts there, you know, with, you know, with jumping and flipping mm. and falling and all of that sort of stuff. And sometimes overusing reverse photography. <laughs> yeah. I also liked the slow Toku hero jump. Like one of them gets rejected. Like he just spikes common rider back down to the ground. And I feel like you don't see that enough with how floaty all the common riders and power rangers are. Yeah. 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 And so Kotaro takes a few minutes to actually henshin. And then we get a mid air henshin because he gets thrown out the building. It's several floors. I mean, he gets thrown out the building by the leopard man. And then he just henshins in mid air and lands safely. I'm like, that's cool. That's, that's really cool. There show. <laughs> I'm liking this. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Anytime they add movement to a tension scene, awesome. Yes. And then it, I wrote in my notes because eventually, because they're just going everywhere mm-hmm. at this point, they end up falling into, I guess this is a seaside apartment, and they fall into the water, and I wrote, water, leopard man's one weakness. <laughs> If anybody owns a cat, you know. Max, <laughs> right the heck out of there in reverse motion. He hates it so much. He <laughs> defies like, nope. the laws of physics to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, nope. It's all kinds of nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when they then give chase and all of a sudden we see the leopard man lip o- leap over the camera. And at this point, I didn't know what the creature was. I just see it turn into some kind of quadrupedal... <laughs> blurry animal and I'm like is this a hyena or like a dog it's like a dog well it wasn't until after this wild chase scene that we see it in the line like oh it's a leopard ah dang it they wonder woman 1984 me again (laughs) yeah I I looked at that I thought I was like I bet they looked at some nature footage is my theory I have no idea I'm sure August Ragone will listen to this and write me an angry letter (laughs) But I, my theory is that they b- superimpose some actual nature footage of a running leopard, and that's why they put all of the optic effects around it to hide the scenes mm. of where they were inserting it. Because I guarantee you they were not using a real big cat <laughs> to do that scene. Uh, I was going to make a Tiger King reference, but the guy's name escaped me, so, you know, <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> yeah yeah and then it you know has the it has the nice little happy ending with him and the girl you know having a nice little meetup and you know after they and it's very classic common writer because like i said i'm 80 plus episodes deep into the original common writer like this is how they all end (laughs) at least in the original show and the narrator even tells us how he's a defender of freedom and justice as it zooms out. I'm like, hey, the guy's just defended himself a couple of times. Let's not <laughs> give him any accolades just yet. Just yet, show. And then we, you know, we then I see the preview for the next episode, and I'm like, I can't watch it. <laughs> Toei, why do you tease me? <laughs> but yeah, anyway. I mean, you got anything else to add to this ne- mm. uh, to this episode? Not, I don't think so. Uh, honestly, would say like unless you get access to the rest of Common Rider Black, like probably stop at the first episode. Just like savor that. If you really need backstory, you can move on to this one. But like, if you're only gonna stop at 
the two available on YouTube, yeah, maybe just stop at the one. Yeah. Yeah. So in which case, oh, it's some exciting times for you, Tommy. We get to go to the awards. You get to give your hey. awards for the first time. Ooh. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. All right, yeah. These are some fun little awards we give to outstanding elements of the TV show episodes or movies, because Hakiter, yeah. <laughs> that we cover on the show. As well, and first up, we have the Henshin Kick. Now, for, for the best stunner fight scene, I'll let you go first, Tommy. Sorry. Now, I'll preface that, like, most of my awards come from about the same five minutes of one of the episodes, but... <laughs> I'm guessing uh, from episode one. <laughs> yeah, so, engine kick for best stunt or fight scene. My go-to was just the fight at the end of the first episode, like, when uh, Kamen Rider versus the spider people, mm -hmm. but you talking up that stairway scene, I had kind of forgotten about that. That one's contender two so I, I might even go with the common rider getting spiked back down like a volleyball <laughs> I, uh, runners up are allowed <laughs> runners up are I'll allowed because mine actually does come from that i liked the uh, where he's falling several stories in that i don't know what you would call it, but that big open area in the apartment building because mm. that's a real stunt performer on a real set that you don't see nearly as much as you used to in modern filmmaking. Now they, they'll green screen everything and you know, so they can make sure everything is absolutely safe. And I'm like, that's a real guy in a real costume jumping off, falling, probably falling on a, you know, like a, a, one of those big uh, pillows or balloons, whatever you want to call it for safety. And then they just edit in where he's doing the superhero landing. Yeah, and one of those guys was in the bulky cheetah costume when they did that. Mm -hmm. Like, that poor stun guy. Like, hey, th this thing's buoyant, right? Eh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, the, the fact that it's real just blows my mind. And these are big, ambitious stunts. I want to say that. I just recorded on a Kamen Rider 1971 episode today where they had Kamen Rider gripping onto the roof of a car that was barreling down the street. And I'm like, this is incredibly ambitious and it's done with real people. <laughs> just let that sink in. So like I said, we take it for granted because now they just green screen. Everything It's just, it's not quite the same. It's just not quite the same. All right. Next up we have Takatoku for the best special effect. What'd you have? All right. As I was uh, waxing poetic about earlier, I got to give it to the spider costumes mm -hmm. specifically in the dark in the warehouse. And that is the peak of making the best out of what you got and still making it look real spooky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great choice. And I kind of wish I could take that because those did look really good when they were mm -hmm. on all fours. But I have to give it to Kotaro's Escape from Gorgum, in the flashback in the second episode, because it is such wild mm. imagery with those crazy multicolored tunnels and the 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 rotoscoped cultist coming after him again and then the motorcycle coming to his rescue and he just jumps on and goes and <laughs> I, it's, it's such a great sequence and again old school special effects and even though uh, yeah i can kind of see the seams a little bit with it but it's still such fun to look at because <laughs> of that those dreamlike qualities that we were talking about yeah, and I feel like it just really adds to the sense of adventure. Like, you, you feel like you can run through that lab, especially if you're run, watching it as a kid. Like, 
that that seem, makes it seem like a real place, just any kind of physical presence to it. Right, right. And then we have coming at you for the best line. What did you have? There were a lot of grasshoppers that day. <laughs> See, when I first heard that, I'm like, what a wild first line from the hero in this. And then right before I wanted to make sure I got that line right. And I found out, no, Kataro doesn't say that. The narrator says it in a Kataro impression <laughs> right before the flashback. Like, his little lower hero voice over the hero. Like, Wow, that's some Stan Lee narration right there. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds kind of funny out of context, to be <laughs> to be honest. There were a lot of grasshoppers that day. <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't seem that ominous either. He's just he's like, yeah, yeah, I got that grasshopper-themed bike. There sure were a lot of grasshoppers that day. What a time, <laughs> that 19th birthday party with the weird, rich sex cultist. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. They were probably going to Epstein Island right after that. Mm-hmm. I'm just <laughs> oh, man, before we get really dark, I'm going to bring up mine, <laughs> which is from Kotaro's dad. In the oh, No, excuse me, it's from Kotaro himself after he's gotten the first info dump from his adoptive father about everything, and he asks his dad if he's going to fight back against Gorgum, and he says no, and... He goes into this little speech where he says, is this some kind of joke? They're trying to rob us of our freedom. Why won't you fight them? Where's your pride, your integrity? I expected better from you. Mm. And then he very, very melodramatically storms off. And then the Spider-Men come. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Spider-Men come. (laughs) That's the most ironic Uncle Ben moment right there. It's kind of an Uncle Ben moment, isn't it? Not an idea. Yeah, like, the, no, it's even the inverse again. Like, the kid is chewing out the older mentor. When he goes away, spiders come for him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I never thought of that. That is so crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the only thing that would have made it more ironic is, the, is if it was actual grasshoppers. <laughs> I was bitten by a radioactive grasshopper that day. I didn't know grasshoppers could bite. <laughs> you know, like it does feel a little mutanty though. Like I, I don't know if they explained that weird grasshopper form in between his human form and the henshin, but like there's got to be something. Or, yeah, like, I'm curious to see if there's going to be more done with that because that was very much a body horror moment right there. And I, I will say, I once checked out the Common Rider Black manga online, mm-hmm. but there's never been an official translation, so it's a fan one. And that form seems to be a little more prominent, or they make the suit look more like that. And I, I gotta say, you guys, don't check out the Common Rider Black manga, at least the fan translations. Like, uh, one, I didn't hold my interest, but a lot of that might have been because it was full of slurs, like for everyone. Oh, a lot of gay God. ones, but yeah, just like, I, I don't know. I doubt Shitaro Ishinomori was putting this many swear words in his manga, especially mm-hmm. this many, like, beyond the pale ones. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't know if fan translators are just taking some liberties or what, but yeah, I, not worth your time. I'm going to say probably on that. I know some people speak highly of fan translations, whether they be fan subs or fan translations of manga, but uh, I understand why they say it's better, but uh, <laughs> there's some really <laughs> suspect ones too. Yeah. <laughs> 
some very suspect ones. I've 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 seen some fan subbed anime, and I'm like, that's not what that person said. <laughs> <laughs> I've picked up on enough Japanese to know. Man, <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, and then finally, probably my favorite award out of all of them, WTH, what the head shit for the craziest moment. What'd you have? Now, I feel like there's really only one we both can pick here, but like, it's the drop the soap scene. (laughs) (laughs) That is weird. You know, I was going to go with something else. I was originally going to go with the chaotic editing in the flashback when Kotaro gets electrocuted, but you know what? (laughs) The soap scene, I think, like, does top it. <laughs> I mean, this might be the What the Henshin Award of the series so far. Right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's been anything that weird and out of place. You uh, mean like on the whole show? Like the whole podcast? Or Yeah, well, I'm talking about the whole podcast, but... Uh, no, yeah. nothing quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> nothing quite like yeah. that, I should say. No shower sexual assault references uh, nope. in Kamen Rider nope. 1971? Nope. nope, nope, not so far. Wild. Yeah, there's been some other really weird things that I'm kind of Really like, placating the censors back then, wow. Yeah, yeah. there have been some other really weird things where I'm like, it was the 70s, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was... You know, I feel like the less said, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I want to know more, but not that badly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And now we come to Minute Two Henshin It! This is the part of the show where each of us give our final thoughts on what we've been discussing in one minute or less. Are you ready, Tommy? I'm ready. This is your first foray into this. Let's see how you do. On your mark, get set, go. Kamen Rider Black is the version of Power Rangers you thought you were watching as a kid. If you take a Clive Barker or Wes Craven movie, John Carpenter from the 80s, take away 98% of their budget and tell them to make a superhero movie, this is what you get. It is exactly what I want from watching Power Rangers as an adult. And if you want to relive that level of excitement for cheesy superhero media, check out that first episode on YouTube. Are you done? That's all I need. 32 seconds. Man, it's like having Travis back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> he was really good at that. All right. Let me uh, let me give mine. So, I want to echo what you said there a little bit, Tommy. I was hooked as soon as I started watching this. This is the kind of tokusatsu, the kind of superhero, the kind of common writer that I want to <laughs> see more of. I do enjoy the original but this one, mm, I feel like black was made for me. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, it's it's hitting all the right buttons for me. I love the aesthetic. I'm a bit of a sucker for uh, for 80s era media. So mm-hmm. uh, getting that, you know, that 80s era grunge and grit to it, it it's just, oh, I'm just eating it up. And seriously, Toei, give us more. Talk to Shout Factory. They'll put the whole thing out for you. They will be, be very happy to throw money at you, and then we will throw money at both of you for all I've of got those this, things. <laughs> I've got the sketchy Malaysian DVDs. I will buy Blu-rays, and I don't do that for anything, but I'll get them for this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. 
All right, there we go. Uh, we got it all wrapped up. Thank you once again, Tommy, for coming on this. It's been tremendous fun. And if you enjoyed our discussion, I will put a link to both of these episodes on Toei's YouTube channel for you to check out and give those a watch, or at least the first episode, like Tommy was saying. Mm -hmm. And then get yourselves ready for the Big Dang remake on Amazon Prime. And then you can come listen to our episode on Giant Size Violence talking about Black Sun. Yeah, and y'all should check out the trailer for Black Sun out there right now because, like, it's once again taking the spider-themed kaijin and doing something I haven't seen before, like, with these fast-moving CGI beasts. Like, I've come around on Kamen Rider CGI. I think whatever I've seen in that trailer looks really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does look pretty exciting. I'm just a little confused why I can't find a listing for it on Amazon Prime, but I have Hmm. every source I've looked at says it's going to be available everywhere. On Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. Come October 30th, I'm going to be scouring Prime to make sure it's there. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just mm. saying. All right. So, with that, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu Appreciation Podcast. You can find links to all our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the backlog of the Kaiju Weekly Podcast, listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault, and our sister podcast in the Kaiju Rama Podcast Network, The Power Trip. And where can people find you, Tommy? You can find me uh, once again on Giant Sized Violence. Pretty soon here, I actually am going to be releasing an interview with the writer of the upcoming Common Writer 01 comic book, Brandon Easton. Uh, I'll be editing that tomorrow, actually. So by the end of the week, you should be able to listening, listen to that. Had a great time interviewing him. I'm also on the Game Night Heroes podcast on their Power Rangers Guardian Swarm subseries. I play the daughter of uh, Saban's Masked Rider. So kind of full circle. Yeah, so if you want to listen to the live play of the Power Rangers RPG, you can find me there. And finally, keep an eye out in the very near future. My occasional co-host on Giant Sized Violence is coming out with his first comic Kickstarter for a little book called Harlow and Bozeman. If you like Venture Bros or Rick and Morty and superheroes, it's going to be up your alley. And next year, keep an eye out for Giant Sized Violence, which will be, or sorry, next year, keep an eye out for When We Transform. That's our graphic novel project we've been working on a little longer. It's a little further from having a Kickstarter campaign set up for a link, but we're really hoping to have an early to mid next year launch for that. I can vouch for it. You've sent me a few of the pages and I liked what I saw. Hmm? Thank you. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. And while you're at it, go do that for Giant Size Violence and all of Tommy's other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Very appreciated. Yes. And until next time, what are we going to say, Tommy? Next week, Gorgon throws Kamen Rider Black into the recycling henshin. This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.